From Casa de Esperanza's National Latino Network, I'm Cristina Escobar, and this is Conversations Over Cafecito. At Casa de Esperanza National Latino Network, we understand that visibility and representation matter. Join us as we interview advocates, community members, nonprofit leaders, trailblazers, and policy influencers about their contributions to end gender-based violence, what they wish they had known, and how their life experiences have influenced who they are today. Today, we're commemorating April as Sexual Assault Awareness Month with a conversation on Netflix's breakaway hit, Bridgerton. The first of Shonda Rhimes' shows to come out on the streaming giant, Bridgerton is based on a series of romance novels and so features lots of sex scenes, but there's a problem. The show demonstrates a murky understanding of consent, even as it tries to explore some of the ways sexism and limiting gender roles get in the way of love, pleasure, and romance. Plus, while Bridgerton is theoretically set in a fictional post-racial past, there's still a lot of issues around colonialism, colorism, and representation, such as the fact that there are no Latinos. So we at Casa de Esperanza have convened a panel to sound off on the show, bringing our unique perspectives as Latino service providers working to end gender-based violence. Warning, spoilers ahead, plus some potentially triggering conversation around the ins and outs of consent and the mechanics of sex. So let's get started by meeting our panel. Leo Martinez, project manager at Casa de Esperanza, specializing in serving male victims. Welcome, Leo. Hi. Hi. Next, we have a Jasmine Seja Oribe, dating violence prevention expert, advocate, consultant, public speaker, and my personal friend. Jasmine was the first person I texted after watching Bridgerton. I'm so glad to have you here, Jasmine. Hi, thanks for having me. You are welcome. Before we begin, officially, we always like to start off with how do you take your cafecito? Because this is conversations over cafecito. Leo, do you want to go first? I was a teacher for seven years in Argentina and I... Uh... And I used to drink coffee all the time, almost religiously. But uh, but since I have had a um, stomach issues for quite a few years, I had to give up coffee. So uh, now I only drink water. That's all I can eat, all I can drink. So <laughs> what about you, Jasmine? So I'm not that big of a coffee drinker, but when I do, I like cafe de olla because it's sweet. But I like to mix horchata in my cafe de olla. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. And now we're really going to get started. And I want to begin broadly on sexual empowerment in the media. What role do movies and TV shows play in our understanding of sex and sexuality, particularly among Latino communities? I think I think it's a um, you know a, um, media has always a, a huge impact on on any kind of social issues, a, uh, whether in this case sex or sexuality. Um, most of the time it's negative. <laughs> uh, it's, it's rare when you find good examples or good stories that actually highlights, you know, things that, uh, um, that should change or that are striving for change. So, uh, so I find for, from that point of view, I found, you know, this show, uh, Bridgerton and some other shows, you know, like uh, Shit's Creek, for example, that, you know, have some positive messages about things that usually are not so positive, so. Yeah. What do you find, Jasmine, in your work with young people? So I find that media has a big influence in a lot of their learnings. And I think back to, if we're talking about sexual empowerment and just sex education, right? If we think back to the conversations I had coming from a Latino family, um, sex really connected to whether or not you were going to get pregnant and everything else in between 
that all of the positive sex positivity was left out. So a lot of the sexual exploration came from friends or what we saw in the media. Um, and I, I related to that with Daphne's character in Bridgerton because she had to go ask someone who was very close to her, right? Like someone who I would consider maybe close enough to her, be her peer. Um, and I think back to being a, a young Latina and not really understanding certain things myself and leaving it to movies and having these conversations. So I feel like it has an influence in how they learn and what they learn and more than conversations with their parents, which I hope it does come to that, but conversations they have with their peers. So there's a lot of exposure and question marks is what I would call it with media. I would agree. You know, at Casa de Esperanza, a few years back, we did a study um, as part of launching the Decimos No Mas campaign. And we found that like young people, actually young Latinos in particular, care more about what their family has to say, but there's a hole in actually having those conversations. And so then, right, the media does come in and fill it in and maybe doesn't send all of the messages that we would like to receive. So, you know, we want to encourage folks to have those conversations within their families because we know it's so important, but we also know that there's a, a gap there between the knowledge that we need and the knowledge that young people are actually getting. Um, and that's something that you see on Bridgerton, right? Like our heroine Daphne starts out with so little knowledge. Like she doesn't know what sex is. She doesn't know how reproduction works. She doesn't even know that like her body can be a source of pleasure. She has to be told that. Um, so I wanna know kind of what modern lessons we can take from her story. And I, I also wanna say that when she does reach out and ask her mom, she does not get useful. <laughs> she does not get useful information. Um, so so um, speaking about the modern day, you know, obviously now we can Google stuff, but I'm not necessarily sure we want Google teaching our kids about sex either, right? I agree. And I think with all these exposures, they're missing the context, missing that much needed conversation of that practical knowledge of how does it apply to my day-to-day -day relationships. Mm -hmm. And that comes with modeling healthy relationships with parent from parents to children, right? Um, but I think just the fact that she was so naive and in the nicest way. Um, some of the modern lessons that I would hope that, you know, families and young people can really see is that information and exposure to information without context and practical knowledge is not really that helpful. And we think that we have to shelter these conversations, especially with, I'll use young women, for example, that it the, the storyline in Bridgerton seemed to be like preparing her to be a good housewife, preparing her to be a good mother. But the fact that um, Simon had to even teach her what pleasure was, like, I hope that mothers and daughters can see this as talk about those things in a sex positive way. Like, don't just leave it up to question. Don't just leave it up to whether or not your daughter is going to be a, make a great wife, like actually empower your daughter to make, a, you know, be a great woman. And that means knowing herself, knowing her body and knowing what her body can do and knowing what a guy, what a man's body can do. Um, so I think all of those modern day lessons, I would just say is, you know, talking about a, a, a something like sex, without practical examples or how it connects to relationships is really missing the gap. So apply these concepts to day-to-day -day, um, real events so they can apply it to their own um, examples of, of relationships. And, you know, the, having been worked with the LGBT community for many years, I see, I've seen so many issues with consent in which, uh, especially, you know, like gay kids, uh, uh, they just don't, have no role models. They have a lack even even peers to 
to give them much information, uh, you know, and, and it's getting better over the years, but still, what is this? So uh, without without that, they 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 get themselves in situations which you know they are they are giving this implicit consent to things that they're really they're not agreeing to, and and then you know then becomes you know the guilt and the shame and everything that comes with doing something that they were not so comfortable doing with. So yeah, uh, so I I I think that you know more knowledge is always the uh, the way to go uh, to facilitate you know uninformed consent. One thing that I wanted to go back before is just about, and you were talking about knowledge before, uh, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to mention that I had the opportunity to do a um, with the uh, with Latino Link, one uh, organization that I co-founded in 2015 in Atlanta. A, um, we were doing programs to to a, um, talk about sexuality, including what is the LGBTQ uh, issues, and with parents and with with youth. And what we found early on is that with parents, there was so much to talk about. But with youth, they have the knowledge for the most part. They had, they had the terminology. They just needed more details. They just needed context. They, there was a lot of knowledge, but with no context and no sex positivity like uh, Jasmine was, was mentioning. There was nothing, nothing. It was sort of like a, a, a sterile uh version of knowledge so nothing about sex sex you know as a as a source of pleasure which is what a um what what usually parents are so afraid to to convey to their children you know anything about that so um so i think you know um in her case uh, yeah the, the mom does such a bad job of what we would call the the birds and the beads <laughs> and the birds and the beads this kind of a, um, a conversation with Naphne and a, uh, and she ends up getting most of her information from the maid, uh, from Rose. So that's a, a, a it's a, a, and, and, and I think that that has not changed much if you put it in context nowadays that still uh, a lot of people get, you know, that, that other part of the knowledge that I'm talking about, that context, they get it from their friends or from slightly older friends or, or acquaintances and not you know and it should be from the parents it should be from people that are the closest with so so that that has to change yeah as a mom i felt for the bridgerton matriarch but also i was like you're failing you're failing your daughter right now and she needs you and then when daphne leader was mad i was like she has a right to be mad because her mom didn't didn't do right then and i also think you know april is sexual assault awareness month and there's sort of this idea about like how much knowledge do you need to be able to give consent? And does does Daphne's knowledge and does our knowledge in general inform our ability to give really meaningful consent? Um, you know, I think there's a room for exploration and sort of learning as you go, but there's also like this kind of question about how do you how do you consent? And it's really actually at the center of Bridgerton. How do you consent to something you don't really know what it means or like how how it works? Yeah, I had that question too, right? Because consent is about being informed and being able to have the power and the control to say yes or no, or this is what I like and this is what I don't like. And her lack of knowledge 
does not give her the space to really dissect what are her wants and what are her own needs. I think every she was basically consenting to being a wife. And I think back to and the idea of what that meant, right, from her mother. And, and, you know, oh, it's okay if he says he can't have children. And that was a whole other discussion, right? Can't and or won't. Um, but I think back to something my mom always told me. And she said when she got married and my parents, um, this is an interesting conversation about just how we have sex conversations. Um, my parents got married in April. I was born in September. According to my mother, she didn't have sex until after she got married. The, math doesn't add up there but that was something she told me because her parents when when she was pregnant with me uh my lovely grandfather told her now that you're married you need to do whatever your husband wants when he wants everything sexually you you know as you're married now you're what your wife you do it and as we're talking about Bridgerton and everything with my own family my mom brought that up she's like well I was taught the same thing you do it how they want it and when they want it and that's it so I think back to like how the what she was consenting to was the idea of not having any type of power and control. And I don't think that is real consent. So it's that gray area, which I love because relationships are not black and white. They're gray. Um, you know, it, it, there's labels and definitions, but there's so many nuances and things that happen in between that that's what I love doing is like unpacking that conversation. So I don't know if she had everything she needed to consent to being a, a sexual, you know, sex positive sexual being, I think she just consented to this idea that wasn't fully informed. I agree with what Jasmine was saying, you know, without knowledge, there is no consent. So, uh, so there has to be a balance. And, you know, and I understand the idea that you were mentioning about exploring as much as you can, but you have to have enough knowledge for that exploration to not be harmful. Otherwise, it, it could become harmful at any turn. And, you know, the Having been worked with the LGBT community for many years, I see, I've seen so many issues with consent, in which, uh, especially you know, uh, gay kids, uh, uh, they just don't have no role models. They have a lack even even peers to to give them much information, uh, you know. And, and it's getting better over the years, but still, what is this? So I, without without that, they 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 get themselves in situations which you know. They are, they are giving this implicit consent to things that they're really, they're not agreeing to. And, and then, you know, then becomes, you know, the guilt and the shame and everything that comes with doing something that they were not so comfortable doing with. So, yeah, so I, I, I think that, you know, more knowledge is always a, uh, the way to go uh, uh, to facilitate, you know, uninformed consent. Yeah, yeah, and in the Bridgerton case, we have the Duke sort of using Daphne's lack of knowledge. In some ways, he's a good teacher and he helps her with things, but in other ways, he uses it against her, right? So, you know, I think um, clear communication, both verbal and nonverbal, is a prerequisite for consent. And so I want to hear your thoughts about what we make of the Duke's subterfuge around having kids, pulling out his birth control, and using Daphne's ignorance to his advantage to skirt having this whole conversation around reproduction. Yeah, I, I felt that it was a little manipulative in a way because he knew he was never going to have to explain why he did that. And when she confronted him about it, he's like, well, I thought you knew. So I do think it was a little bit of some manipulation going on with the Duke, right? Because he knew he was never going to have to explain exactly why he was pulling out. So I do think that 
in in some way, if you look at the definition, it could be a form of emotional abuse, right? Just completely taking away her own right to fully understand what was going on. And I think back to, uh, you were bringing up Leo about LGBTQ youth. And I think back to even some of the youth relationships that I'm familiar with or that I've experienced myself, right? You, you go in blindly sometimes and someone who may be more mature tends to push your boundaries, but you don't realize that those are your own boundaries because you have no idea what it is. So I think it's this emotional abuse tactic. And I know that we don't really talk about it in terms of a type of abuse, but it, it, it does happen in relationships. I think this being taken advantage of and you don't recognize it as abuse because you don't know that you're being taken advantage of. So I would just put a blanket of like, there's a lot of emotional manipulation happening there. And I don't think it's healthy. I think it's an unhealthy tactic. And sure enough, unhealthy behaviors tend to lead to bigger incidents of abuse like we saw in Bridgerton. Daphne forces the Duke to ejaculate inside her without her consent, without his consent, excuse me, um, at once she learns about the mechanics of how sex and reproduction works because she feels betrayed, um, but maybe so much her feelings aren't important because she does take a sexual action without getting her partner's consent. Um, neither of them have done a good job communicating about sex in the past. And I'm curious for you two, whether you would consider Daphne's action rape, would you use that label? And on top of that, why is labeling it? Why are the words that we use to talk about these things so important? I think that it's, it's how they arrived to this scene and you know the whole context makes it so much more complex and yeah for for ones because i i did think first you know that yeah this if there is no consent is rape but but also uh, uh, i immediately went to a um coercive reproduction i think that this that is 100 percent coercive reproduction because uh, she knew that he did not have, want to have a child and she's, she's sort of forcing him, you know, uh, by, by, by uh, forcing him to, to ejaculate inside her. But uh, um, so, so I was going back and forth between those two and staying a little bit more with course reproduction based on the context of all of him taking advantage of her not knowing. But, you know, to... A, um, Two wrongs don't make a right. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but he was also in the wrong about other things, like not, not uh, yeah, openly talking about why he didn't want to have a child. Uh, yeah. You know, he, she probably she would understand, you know, the reasons behind it as he carried all this trauma from childhood, as the way that he was treated by by his father, and what is a uh, and not wanting to get because I think it was the revenge part of that is because. Is the effect of the trauma as a child as being what is a uh, what is a um, abuse, you know, a, a mentally uh, emotionally abused by her father. That is not an excuse for a, uh, the manipulation and for everything that goes on. So, yeah, Jasmine, what did you think when you watched that scene? So I, I had to, I watched it with two different lens, right? I watched it just as a viewer getting sucked into these characters. And then I, cause I can never turn off my advocate radar. I was like, oh, okay, let me pick it apart. She knew 
she learned, right? And I think she wanted to test it out, which I think is very sneaky and manipulative. So manipulation is never good in a relationship. And then he actually said, because I went to rewatch it, he says, wait, wait. So he gave her a verbal cue and he even emotionally like, and she's, the look in her eyes was like, I'm determined to test out my theory to see if this is why you don't. So it was the fact that he said, wait, wait, is not getting consent, right? It's actually using a form of stop. And if we think about how the word stop or no applies in real relationships, wait, no, stop, like that is actually a no. So therefore she went forward, he said, wait, yes, that's rape or sexual assault, right? And I think words do matter. I was thinking about, is this rape? Is it sexual assault? Is was this just sexual abuse? But I think the pe- more people that I talked to, we struggled naming it rape, I think for being totally honest, because it was a guy, I heard my guy friend say, well, he could have physically overpowered her. He let himself. She could not have forced him because she's a tiny thing. I'm like, but the power was on her side. She was the one with the power and control. He was the one at that point who's you know, consent was not there. His needs, his want, he said, wait. And just, I rewatched it multiple times. I was like, he said, wait. And if I just pick it apart, that's rape or sexual assault. And if I apply the whole story and the whole context, this is what I meant earlier about how relationships are not black and white. And when I work with youth, they tell me that. They struggle with our definitions and our labels because in day-to-day relationships, things are not, is it healthy or is it unhealthy? There's so many things in between and that's the the beauty of having these discussions. Bridgerton is supposedly taking place in this like fictional past that is post-racial in some sort of ways, but the people making the show are not post-racial. They are our peers and us watching it, right? We're not post-racial either. Like we live in this world with all of these biases and structural inequities. And I really felt that the show sort of betrayed its idea of this post-racial alternate reality thing and how it portrayed the aftermath of that scene and how it focused on white woman Daphne's feelings and emotions solely. And you don't really see anything of the Duke's emotions. It's all about how she was hurt. So she acted out and none, no reaction from him about what he felt like from having been violated in that way. And I wanted to hear about your thoughts on the role of gender and race here with Daphne being white, the Duke being black and how they play in our understanding, our society's understanding of how we read their relationship. That is a great question. And I think there's this bias and just inherit or societal of her being this docile, weak, white woman. And then you have this aggressive black man. I didn't like the play into those roles. um, And I thought that it was very stereotypical, even for a show that was trying to break racial stereotypes, right? By having the queen and, and such. So I feel like, there's still so many subtle stereotypes that we carry and and people that I've had conversations with carry that I think they just thought that she was the victim from the get-go. And I think race played into that. And I I am struggling with explaining it other than that's the classic storybook tale of an aggressive man of color taking control over a woman. And the fact that gender too, right? It's really hard for us to have conversations 
about young men or men in general who experience abuse. Like we're still not there. We still have a whole lot of work to do. So I think people just came in with biases and let it go. Because I remember when when the Duke said, what did you do? What did you do? His anguish of being violated, and let's use the word violated, um, was not answered. And I felt for him. And I was like, yeah, dude, she totally took control. Like, I'm sorry. And then she went on her rant as to, you know, this is why you're wrong and you deserved it. And that is not okay. The black characters still are sort of stigmatized to some to some degree. There's like dramatic more um, or negative connotations to some of those characters, you know, like uh, yeah, the, 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 the relative Marina that goes to live with the Featheringtons, where it's a, yeah, you know, it's a, you know, it's just a very tragic story, which it is something that happened at the times and, and still happens in this day, where it's a, uh, you know, someone, you know, a girl that, that gets an unwanted pregnancy and what is a, uh, and, and at that point, and also the lack, for example, of Latinos within mm -hmm. the whole thing. I think there's one Asian character that I spotted somewhere along the way and no Latinos. So I'm like, okay, well, still no diverse enough, you know, so a, uh, so, 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 I, so there's some criticisms there in regards to race. Yeah, absolutely. My, my biggest hope is that we keep pushing storylines to be what I think some of my family members would call edgy, right? Like the fact that there's these things on Netflix and I had one of my aunts say, well, that's Netflix because that's where all the racy stuff happens. I'm like, but I want that. I want these real conversations. I want the sex positivity. I want the inclusion. I want the diver diversity. And I want storylines that challenge us to really be better and know better. Because we, the reality is for many, many, many young people, they're not having these conversations. I think there's going to be hundreds of years, maybe not hundreds, but many years until parents can really have these meaningful conversations with their children. It's just generations and intergenerational trauma that we're going to have to shake off until parents can feel confident enough to have these really meaningful conversations, even if it's just leaving that door open, right? So I think children are going to get their messages from media. Um, so I hope that media continues to have these storylines that are pushing traditional boundaries, but are doing so responsibly by providing context and education. So what I feel like really needs to happen is groups like us, like we're having these conversations, seeing the media and then unpacking it and informing the community. That's our responsibility as viewers. That's something we can do at a party. That's something that we can do when we're eating dinner. That's something we can do when we're just at the couch. Like make it, a, make it about being a responsible viewer than just an exposure and not having a conversation and start conversations um for all communities not just the latino community but in general you know that are more empowering of, of women that are more empowering of lgbtq uh, individuals that is a um that that increases this stigma free uh, slash sex positive view of of sexuality of sex uh, and and what do you say? Uh, because that's the only way that we can um, create a safer world for those who, uh, you know, um, to avoid sexual abuse and 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 you know and rape and and situations, which is the ones that we are advocating. It, it you know it, it would be a, a good thing to work from a place of strength and not from a place of deficits for once. And, a, uh, and say, okay, well, we're having these conversations because we're preventing 
we are doing a lot more prevention work versus uh, intervention work and, 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 and healing work with victims and survivors, so. Yeah, I agree. We need more stories, more stories of Latinos, more stories of healthy relationships, and I would say more examples of what it really looks like to get consent. So other final thoughts, conclusions, additional things you want to add? There's so many, so many thoughts that I had in this conversation, and I'm sure that it'll bring more conversations for people that are listening. And I just want to leave with something I always say is that if anything that we mentioned sparks more, more need for conversation, or even just a thought, like there's organizations that can support you and there's resources. So just like we unpacked a show, like reach out to, to people in your community who can help you unpack that, right? Um, one thing that the last thing I wanted to say was we were talking a lot about consent and what informed consent was and I think it's all about context and knowledge so take whatever knowledge you got today apply it to your day-to-day -day relationships and reach out to people in your community. Thank you both Leo and Jasmine for spending this time with me for lending us your thoughts and expertise for waiting through Bridgerton on my behalf um, <laughs> and what I would also say of really sharing what it means meaningfully for Latino audiences to watch a show like Bridgerton, what our takeaways can be and really what they should be and how we move from sort of point A to point B. Thank you again to Leo Martinez, project manager at Casa de Esperanza, and Jasmine Oribe, dating violence prevention expert, advocate, consultant, and public speaker. April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and we thank you for joining us in this discussion about the ways the media influences how Latinos understand consent. If you or someone you know has experienced sexual assault, know that you are not alone. Help is available in Minnesota via Casa de Esperanza's 24-7 bilingual hotline at 651-772-1611 and nationwide by visiting thehotline.org Rain, R A I N N org. This has been another episode of Conversations Over a Cafecito, brought to you by the National Latino Network for Healthy Families and Communities, a project of Casa de Esperanza that builds bridges and connections among research, practice, and policy to advance effective responses to eliminate domestic violence and promote healthy relationships within Latino families and communities. For more information, visit National Latino Network. Org. This program was produced by the staff at Casa de Esperanza National Latino Network and music composed by Joey Horton. I'm Cristina Escobar. Thank you for listening. Hasta la próxima.